what I'm going to do now is to uh, look at the, in a sense, uh, and I hope I don't discourage you, I will be looking at the non-mathematical part of these mathematical expeditions. And I will be also doing and analyzing jointly the two British expeditions, uh, one which uh, headed for Prince, a very tiny island on the Gulf of Guinea, which was part of the Portuguese colonial empire in 1919, and which is now part of the Republic of São Tomé e Príncipe. And the other expedition headed towards Sobral, which, is, which was quite a relatively big city of a big state of Sierra in the northeastern part of Brazil. It had around 35,000 people. And uh, so, the two British expeditions really headed towards very different uh, geographical and geopolitical settings. Two principes um, went the astrophysics from Cambridge Observatory, Arthur Stanley Eddington, together with a clockmake expert called, uh, called, called uh, Edwin Cottingham, and to Sobral uh, headed two uh, expert astronomers from Greenwich Observatory, Charles Davidson and Andrew Cromlin. They all, these two teams, uh, wanted to test one uh, of the predictions of Einstein's theory of relativity, general relativity, which had, well, had been announced in 1915 and published in 1916. And this, uh, in this prediction uh, was uh, dealt with the bending of light rays as they passed close to large gravitational uh, masses. The organization of these two expeditions, uh, rather than one as usual, took place, as we all know, during the difficult times of the First World War. And uh, when Albert Einstein was not yet famous, relativity theory was not yet generally accepted by the British scientific elite, which was particularly fond of ether theory. So it was not just the physical makeup of relativity which was counterintuitive to most experts and at odds with the concept of Newtonian classical physics, but also its mathematical apparatus grounded on the theory of invariance and the calculus of variations were also very difficult to understand, not only for experts, but for lay people alike. And this was precisely the gist of the opening address delivered by J.J. Thompson on the 6th of November 1919 at the joint meeting of the Royal Society of London and the Royal Astronomical Society of London, in which he certainly presented the first step towards the acceptance of general relativity as provided by the results of these two expeditions, but he could predict, and very well so, that the process of acceptance was going to be a long and arduous one. Uh, and this has been the topic of a book which recently came out by the historian of science Matthew Stanley called Einstein War, precisely because of this. The difficulties in accepting the results of the expeditions had also to do with the, the, the scrutiny of the work on data reduction, which took place throughout the summer 
and the autumn of 1919, and which was mostly done by Eddington on one side and by uh, the astronomer Royal Frank Dyson, uh, who you can see in this picture, on the other hand. In fact, Frank Dyson was uh, aware of the importance of the expeditions and was behind the organization of the expeditions for two years then. I mean, since the first uh, communication he delivered at the Royal Astronomical Society on the 9th of March of 1917, he called attention to the importance of the eclipse of 1919. And uh, uh, he was so much uh, involved in this organization that he pushed forward the organization of two expeditions instead of one in order to double their, their probability of success. And this because there had been already two former expeditions, organized one in 1912 also in Brazil, the other one in 1914 when the war began in Crimea, and they had been unsuc unsuccessful. So um, he uh, was really uh, up to... Uh, using these expeditions to uh, to to uh, to test these uh, to to test Einstein's uh, prediction, these the expeditions and what the astronomers wanted to uh, observe and wanted to photograph was very different from the uh, usual aims of uh, turn of the century uh, astronomical observations. In fact. The reason why this eclipse was so important was that, first of all, it was a very long e eclipse. Uh, it lasted five minutes, in, in, in fact, three, uh, 302 seconds. And also, the question was that behind the sun, there were uh, a group of stars, the uh, constellation of Taurus, and behind the sun, uh, so the background of stars was very rich of stars and very brilliant ones. And uh, this was particularly important because what these astronomers had to measure was really, had, they had to photograph not really the sun, but the background of stars. And what they had to do was to take pictures of the uh, stars, the image of stars during the eclipse, uh, as you can see on the left uh, hand side of the of the this slide, and then they had to wait uh, more or less a month to take uh, what it was called a comparison photograph um, at a time in which the sun was not anymore in between the stars and the observer, and so the light emitted by the stars was not deflective if there was deflection. Okay, and then they had to compare to, 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 to compare the two sets of pictures to see if there was deviation or not, and if there was deviation, if this deviation was followed Einstein's prediction, which was uh, quite a minute prediction of one second seventy-five. 1.75 seconds of arc. And this uh, value was, in fact, the double of the value which had been, which could be accounted for by classical physics if one accepted uh, in the framework of classical physics a, new, um, a corpuscular um, constitution for light. 
and this is the front page of the paper which was jointly authored by Dyson, by Eddington and by Davidson, which came out right a couple of months after the public announcement in the early January 1920, in which they, uh, it's a very long paper in which all details of the two expeditions, uh, the setups, the, the results, the observations and the, the calculus of deviations is explained thoroughly. And what you can see in this front page is precisely this idea that there is, there is going to be a, co um, a, co a contrast between Einstein's and Newton's uh, theory. If, if we know that Eddington was a very, a very special astronomer, uh, quite knowledgeable of uh, physics and mathematics, and so uh, favorable to uh, the, the theory of relativity. This is not the case with Dyson. So he supported the expeditions. He understood very well that it was an opportunity not to be missed by British astronomers. And he says so in this first communication I already mentioned, uh, which was then published in the observatory uh, um, concerning uh, on, the nine on 9 March of 1917. Why was then Dyson so interested in this, uh, in this, uh, in this test? Because uh, this uh, physical theory, which he probably did not really understand or he was not really sensitive with, uh, had explained out of the blue the advance of perihelium of Mercury. So for an astronomer and for British astronomy, this could be quite an important uh, step to do. He also mentions on the 9th of March 1917 that there is going to be another eclipse before the 1919 eclipse. This eclipse took place, uh, happened on the 8th of June 1918 in central uh, United States, but he really dismissed the involvement of, British, uh, of, of a British team given the adverse political and astronomical conditions. So, contrary to Weddington, who as he said in a book he published uh, a few months after the joint paper uh, called Space, Time and Gravitation, I was not altogether unbiased towards uh, Einstein's theory. Dyson was neutral uh, relative, uh, towards relativity as a physical theory, but sensitive to its astronomical consequences. And so, despite their degree of allegiance being very different, they both worked towards the reduction of data and, in fact, towards the uh, announcement on the 6th of November. It is especially after 1970s that doubts about the rigor of observations of the date and of data analysis that were put forward both by physicists and by philosophers of science. Criticisms encompassed accusations of elimination of data that favored Newton's theory based on, on Eddington's early advocacy of Einstein theory. But, of course, inclination towards a theory does not, is not equivalent to data manipulation. And one should, in fact, mention that in the manuscripts held at the Cambridge Library, the most important decisions concerning the elimination of plates were done by Dyson upon no 
noticing that at Subral, the uh, main telescope with the astrographic lens lost focus during the eclipse because of heating uh, of the Kelosat mirror. And this has been, in fact, uh, the work done by historian of science, Daniel Kenefik, for almost a decade now, in which he has been address, addressing the question of scientific malpractice for, uh, and uh, has been discussing thoroughly the steps taken by British astronomers, arguing in, the, in, in their favour and against contemporary accusations. His detailed analysis also came out very recently in a book fittingly titled No Shadow of a Doubt. So, uh, as to my argument, the British uh, expeditions were certainly mathematical in a, a very great variety of ways. I've briefly addressed most relevant in order to show that mathematics was dominant at both ends of the spectrum. I mean, as an integral part of Einstein's prediction of light bending, which the expedition set out to verify, but also as a vital component of the process of data analysis, which proved Einstein right. So, the use of mathematics was instrumental to the expedition's success. But mathematics was always irrevocably intertwined with astronomy and with physics, and we saw this already in the preceding talks. In this talk, then, I want to change the focus of analysis from the astronomical, physical and mathematical pillars of Einstein's prediction and the expedition's impact in proving general relativity right, which have been already amply discussed in the literature. I opt instead, first, for a joint discussion of the two expeditions, which has not been done so far. They have been discussed separately. And uh, I want to show that their scientific consequences, physical, mathematical and astronomical, were grounded on a number of people, events and decisions, which are often bypassed in standard narratives and which are essential, although often invisible, to the success of the scientific enterprise. In order, that, in order to do this, I have... Uh, been using printed sources as usual, scientific communications, discussions and publications, but also private sources. And among these private sources, the letters, the correspondence, uh, which Eddington sent both to his um, mother and sister, but also the extended correspondence with the observatory, uh, Astronomical Observatory of Lisbon, uh, are extremely important on, uh, for once to get us a sense of the views, the feelings of the astronomers throughout their travels, and on the other hand, to uh, give us also a sense of how the communities uh, of astronomers and other people of the countries in which the observations took place, basically Portugal and Brazil, how they reacted to these events and how they were central pieces uh, in this, uh, in this uh, whole narrative. So, taking into account the geographical, the very different geographical and geopolitical asymmetries of the two selected sites of observation, a big city in a quite big state of, an, uh, of a country, which was independent from Portugal for already almost one century, and a tiny island, uh, part of the Portuguese colonial empire. But despite its really uh, short, uh, despite 
being so uh, small. It was the, one of the biggest cocoa producers at the time, and in fact there had been a conflict uh, which took place basically 10 uh, decades before the expeditions involving the Portuguese and the British government concerning the accusations of forced labor in the cocoa plantations. And also, uh, we should keep in mind that one of the more important buyers of, cocoa's, uh, of cocoa from Prince was precisely the Cadbury family and the Cadbury company. And so there is also here a religious connection. Uh, Quakers are behind this, all this story, not only because Eddington was a Quaker, but because the Cadburys were also so. But this is a part of the story which I cannot uh, go into details in what follows. So, uh, having in mind this very different situation, both geographical and geopolitical, uh, I'll focus on three uh, sorts of invisibilities. One has to do with uh, the published accounts by expeditioners uh, and is associated with the active role of local people, especially during the observation of totality. The second one has to do with the existence of photographs of the experimental apparatus and of the travelers uh, in Prinsp, in sharp contrast uh, with ha what happened in Sobral. And finally, and this is how this comparative exercise uh, will go. And also then uh, it's a sort of um, eraser of the reference of Portugal as a colonial power, which I think has to do, of course, with this difficult uh, situation and this difficult uh, conflict opposing the two countries. So let's go to uh, the section I call to be or not to be observing totality. Here you see a, a small part of a triptych uh, which was shown uh, in the exhibition in Lisbon concerning the travel of the two uh, British teams. And uh, in this triptych in which we detailed uh, what went on since the time they, they left Greenwich uh, to the time they arrived in Subral and Prince and then back to Liverpool and Great Britain, you can see in this map that in these 302 seconds of, of totality converged already two years of preparations uh, done in wartime, uh, in wartime that uh, were subject to weather tricks. Both in Subral and in Prince, the weather did not behave as expected, mostly in Prince, <laughs> but also in Subral, as we saw, the astrographic got uh, some problems. Then, despite the financial support of the British government, no equipment was acquired, and the accuracy of the measurements depended on instruments adapted from pre-existing parts held in various uh, British observatories, and converging uh, in the Royal Greenwich Observatory for the final preparations in early 1919. Then uh, the astronomers moved around two tons of material uh, for regions which were quite distant from the point of departure, 7,200 kilometers uh, to Sobral, 5,800 kilometers to, to Princeton. Finally, the success of these expeditions depended on the participation of astronomers from the countries where the observations took place, that is from Portugal and Brazil. 
but also uh, depended on the availability and willingness to participate of members of the local elites and also of workers who helped in the preparations and who became forever anonymous. So it's obvious that if we find, if we are able to have uh, private uh, records of these expeditions will really uh, be able to get a very uh, a close glimpse at what happened during the observation, during the trips and also during the observation of totality. And what I am going to do uh, with you next is to compare precisely how Eddington described the expedition in a letter to his mother which was sent on the 21st of June, when he was already sailing back to uh, Britain, and then compare how he describes the moments of, of uh, totality in the joint paper in, published in the beginning of 1920, and then in, in the non-technical book, the popularization of science books, Space, Time and Gravitation, published a few months later. And I, I'm sorry, but uh, this is the, uh, I'm sorry in the sense that I, I will be reading quite an extended part of the letter to, to his mother. In fact, it is, is a very long letter uh, and the discussion of totality starts on the last line on the left hand side. And uh, as it's difficult for you to read due to the transparency of the pieces of paper, uh, I have here the, 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 tran the, the transcription, and this is the one of the pages of the graphic novel, I mean the basic, the basis of one of the pages of the graphic novel, which uh, basically illustrates that there were not just two observers, but in fact nine people in total. And the first paragraph precisely uh, starts mentioning who was present. Mr. Carneiro, he was the owner of the plantation Sundi, where the two observers were uh, uh, living and where they, where they did the observations, the curador. This was the man in charge of imported labor, of all the workers that came from uh, African mainland in Angola and Guinea and came to work in the plantations sometimes forever. The judge, Mr. Wright, who was one of the two British black men who were working at the cable station and the only person with whom Eddington could speak, Eddington and Cottingham could speak in uh, English. So we know that on the morning of the eclipse, Carneiro, the curador, the judge, Mr. Wright, three doctors came over. Just as they arrived, a tremendous rainstorm came on, the heaviest we have seen. It was most unusual at the time of the year, but it was favorable for the eclipse as it helped to clear the sky. The, the rain stopped about noon, the eclipse was at 2.15, greenish time. There were a few gleams of sunshine after the rain, but it soon clouded over again. About 1.30, when the partial phase was well advanced, we began to get glimpses of the sun. At 1.55, we could see the crescent through cloud, almost continuously, and there were large patches of clear sky appearing. We had to carry out our program of photographs in faith. I did not see the eclipse, being too busy changing plates, except for one glance to make sure it had begun, and another halfway through to see how much cloud there was. 
we took 16 photographs, of which four are not yet developed. They are all good pictures of the sun, showing a very remarkable prominence. But the cloud has interfered very much with the star image, what they really wanted to get at. The first 10 photographs show practically no stars. The last six show a few images, which I hope will give us what we need. But it is really disappointing. Everything shows that our arrangements were quite satisfactory and with a little clearer weather we should have got splendid results. Ten minutes after the eclipse the sky was beautifully clear, but it soon clouded over again. In fact, I was uh, in Principe this last May, it was raining and cloud, uh, and I have in my mobile phone the weather since May and it's always raining, always clouds, so the, it was really a uh, difficult time for them. We developed the photographs two each night for, for six nights after the eclipse and I spent the whole day measuring. The cloudy weather upset my plans and I had to treat the measures in a different way from what I had intended. Consequently, I have not been able to make any preliminary announcements of the result, but one good plate that I measured gave a result agreeing with Einstein and I think I've got a little confirmation from a second plate. So, from the letter to his mother, not only we get very precious details on who was uh, with the observers observing totality, but we have a first assessment of the works done by the team, and uh, uh, we also, in the last sentence, uh, we have uh, Eddington's uh, scientific inclination put, uh, put out uh, very bluntly. This is, of course, not the case uh, in the paragraph which uh, Eddington wrote in the 1920 paper. And if we read this paragraph, we see that he does uh, mention very precisely the beginning and the end of the, of the, uh, of the eclipse. Uh, he mentions also the details of the observations, of the number of plates uh, um, used, but he doesn't uh, mention any emotions, there are no feelings of the observer. I mean, he mentions the notability of the prominence, but the disappointment caused by bad weather, the faith in believing the prog in the program's execution, or finally the hope that the result proves Einstein's uh, prediction is totally absent. And uh, to proceed with this exercise, let's go then to the chapter called Waiting Light in Space-Time and Gravitation, an outline of general relativity, which is a basically, basically a theoretical outline. Uh, and so in this chapter, Waiting Light, Eddington excuses himself to come into the details of the expedition. And uh, in this chapter, it describes the moments of totality in the following way. Our shadow box takes up all our attention. There is a marvelous spectacle above, and as the photographs afterwards revealed, a wonderful prominence flame is poised 100,000 miles above the surface of the sun. We have no time to snatch a glance at it again. We are conscious only of the weird half-light of the landscape and the ash of nature, broken by the calls of the observers and the beat of the metronome ticking out the 302 seconds of totality. Uh, so, what we can see 
is that in the terms of the content of the written accounts, there is a decreasing gradation of emotions from the richness of the private communication, which exposes the astronomer's feelings, to the popularization of science book, which describes with, with emotion, landscape and the environment, but omits the uh, observer's impressions, and finally, to the dryness, the, the factual, detailed and technical information contained in the uh, scientific paper. We also uh, know uh, from the letter who was really present during the eclipse. And if we have in mind, now that we know that more than two people were present in the eclipse, we might want to look at this phrase broken by the calls of the observers and the suspicion arise. Uh, we don't know if these observers was one was Eddington or Cottingham, or, or if one of the other people who had uh, observed the eclipse were really helping them with metronome. I'm saying this because this was precisely what happened in Subral. In, for Subral, we don't have, unfortunately, any private correspondence, but Cromlin wrote a very short article in the observatory called the Eclipse Expedition to Subral, in which we have a glimpse of the feelings of the astronomers when they were uh, traveling in Amazonia, waiting for, for the time of the eclipse to come. And uh, if we compare, so there is a detailed description also of the bad weather condition and what they did uh, during the time of totality. And then there is, in the end of this uh, short article, a reference to an expert from the Ministry of, of Agriculture called Leucadio Araujo, which wa uh, who was helping the British astronomers all along for the reason that he was a knowledgeable person, but he also knew English, and this was always the problem they had. And if we compare what Cromlin said in this paper with uh, what he said in the, in, the, in the joint paper, we can see that uh, when the crescent disappeared, the word go was called and the metronome was started by Dr. Leucadio, who called out every 10th beat during totality and the exposure times were recorded in terms of these beats. So we uh, really uh, understand that both from these two accounts, that uh, Leucadio Araujo was present helping the metronome, which uh, secured the exact times for the uh, change of plates uh, and the correct exposure times. And this is why I think that having this in mind and comparing these two sorts of sources, we might suspect that the, that observer in principle was really someone else. We don't know, and we won't be able to know, I guess, uh, unless other sources arise, I don't know. But the following nights, both in Subral and in Prinsp, the uh, work of uh, uh, revelation of the plates took place. And very interesting, we know from, uh, from uh, their, their reports that in Subral, they had to use typical uh, local clay pots to secure adequate water temperature and the developing plates were then dipped in containers with the solution guaranteeing proper conditions in Prinsp as well as in Subral. 
they, they also relied on local aid, and this was ice supplied by Mr. Grajeira, the manager of the Colonial Agricultural Society. And again, these ice and these clay pots uh, were uh, important for securing correct temperature conditions, and this is why also re the revelation took place usually during the night. So, uh, coming to uh, a conclusion of this first comparison, what we can see is that expeditions not only brought with them instruments built with pre-existing instruments, components adapted to wartime uh, conditions, uh, but daily objects added in loco were temporarily promoted to auxiliary scientific instruments. So these expeditions, despite the minuteness of the detail they wanted to observe, were not really high-tech technology, they were very low-tech, and in the observation of totality, accuracy of measurements was the result uh, of, um, of what we call uh, technologies of use, or what what David Edgerton called technologies of use and household items. So, different, uh, if we cross out different, uh, these different uh, kinds of sources, it becomes clear that both in the plantation Sundi and in Subral, expeditioners observed totality in the company of other participants, seven of whom held prominent functions. That is, despite their invisibility, two types of local actors participated directly in the experiments, both in Subral and in Prince. The workers who provided manpower to transport the equipment, to build supports for the instruments, or the protective structures of the whole apparatus, and also the members of the local elite who participated in the observations of totality or offered the materials, clay pots or ice, uh, necessary for the success of revelation of plates. Finally, these local actors were joined by national or colonial astronomers' authorities or individuals that helped them along the way. And so, let me, uh, after this first invisibility, let me uh, really come towards the phase of my talk, which I uh, talk which I uh, called to depict or not to depict when visual records matter, and which has to do with a very, uh, again, a very asymmetrical record. There are lots of pictures for, there are lots of pictures for Subral, and there are none for Prinsp. One of the pictures we have for Subral was taken by Davidson. It's the, the picture of the uh, setup, the tent, the two telescopes and the two mirrors. Uh, in fact, the picture I have uh, uh, below, it's a, a picture taken uh, and part of a very uh, nice album uh, gathered by the American uh, magnetic observers. Um, so it's the back of the tent, but we have many other group pictures of the astronomers uh, together with other people whom I will show in very shortly. But the contrast with uh, what happened in Prince is really stark. There are no uh, pictures whatsoever. And 
This also has to do, of course, of the different ge geographical situation, geopolitical situation of the two places. And this also is the reason why there were three uh, teams observing in Sobral, the Brazilian, the American, and the British. And there were just two observers uh, of one team, the British team, observing in Príncipe. Because there are no uh, pictures for Príncipe, it was uh, very hard work to arrive at these uh, three pictures. Uh, working together with an architect who has been uh, looking at the architecture of the plantation Sundi, we came to realize that the main house in which the astronomers were housed um, uh, it looks, like, looks like this. Uh, okay, and I think that uh, um, the place where the instruments were uh, set up, uh, which in fact is done by coordinates in the joint paper, but this gives some uncertainty to it, uh, has been finally, after 100 years, spotted correctly. And it's uh, represented here. This is a... a, 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 a an installation, a painting by a local artist which uh, marks the right place where astronomers made the observations and having in mind that the, the material for the two British expeditions was prepared in times of war at the same time, I think that it's very, uh, very safe to say that the tents were the same and that uh, in principle we, have, we had just one uh, astrographic. We didn't have the small uh, telescope which was lent by the Jesuit astronomer Corti and the accompany, uh, and accompanying uh, small mirror. So I think that 100, 100, 100 years after the eclipse we have quite a, um, a considerable depiction, a depiction of what went on in, uh, in Príncipe. But let's get back to Sobral. What sort of pictures do we have? We have pictures, group pictures. Group pictures of the Brazilian team with the American uh, and the British uh, team members. And it's very easy, I'm sorry, it was not this one, I want to spot here. Here you have the director of the Observatory of Rio de Janeiro, then the National Observatory, this very tall guy, Henrique Moritz, uh, French origin. This is Davidson and Cromlin. This is uh, one of the magnetic observers, and the other one is this one. So the foreigners are wearing white suits or light colored suits, and then there's the, the, a, a quite a substantial group of the Brazilian team, which in fact included 17 people. We have here, again, a group picture, which is also very interesting because we can see uh, that uh, the Brazilian members have, have uh, brought their families. Uh, in fact, Maurice celebrated uh, his anniversary uh, while in Sobral. His, uh, his wife was from the state of Sierra. And you have also some kids. And uh, I'm showing you some more. But basically, we what we can see is that the... Uh, rec uh, record we have, the photographic record we have, is, uh, has been um, provided by Henrique Moritz, by the director of the National Observatory of Rio de Janeiro. 
He was the director since 1908. He was uh, also, since 1916, the president of the Brazilian Academy of Sciences, which had been uh, founded uh, three years uh, before this, uh, and, we, and which was also part of a strategy of the Brazilian scientists of uh, uh, showing to their uh, countrymen, and especially to their government, the importance of science, and in, in this case, of astronomy. And uh, so, that there were lots of activities and events going on uh, because uh, the centenary of the independence of Brazil was approaching. This took place in 1922. So, uh, it's very clear that for Moritz it was uh, really important to first receive the expeditioners, and in that sense, as it happened in Portugal, since 1917, he was absolutely clear that the 1919 eclipse should be observed in, in, in Brazil. So he, contact, he contacted uh, the British, uh, the British um, astronomers. He also, uh, uh, in previous expeditions, notably one which took Davidson and Eddington to Brazil in 1912. He also, as was common practice among astronomers, received the foreign teams and uh, um, provided all the logistic conditions for the observations to take place properly, although he could not control weather, and so in 1912 they could not observe much. And uh, concerning the 1919 eclipse, he uh, secured the support of the Brazilian government, but also of local, not only civil, but ecclesiastical authorities, uh, in order to receive properly and, in a sense, with pomp and circumstance, the British team uh, who uh, observed in Sobral. Uh, Moritz arrived in Sobral on the main 9th, and uh, the Brazilian team was, uh, was interested in uh, astrophysical observations, but, in fact, they provided all the necessary um, requirements for the British team to, uh, to observe uh, in, in uh, perfect conditions. So, what we can see from this uh, profuse record of uh, visual record is that it reflects the uh, importance uh, um, for Moritz and for the scientific Brazilian scientific community to affirm a scientific research ethos to uh, affirm the importance of science for Brazilian society, irrespective of its practical applications. This was very important for them. And also the importance of uh, consolidating a cohesive, cohesive and autonomous scientific community. The importance uh, uh, awarded by Moritz to this visual record was such that besides this um, visual uh, record, we can also have a glimpse of the many, many newspaper coverage which happened in Brazilian newspapers. I have just started to unveil this uh, um, amazing uh, group of information. And again, it's also very interesting. There are basically no newspaper articles in Portugal, not in 
main, main, I mean, not in the colonies, nor in uh, big uh, mainland um, papers, newspapers in Portugal, and there is an ample coverage. Uh, you can see many of them here. Not only newspapers of the state of Pará, where uh, they, they arrived and from where they departed, but also of the state of Ceará, where they made the observations in Sobral. And through this uh, news, in fact, Einstein theories was presented to Amazonia. This is the, f the first introduction of Einstein in Amazonian lands. There are also many newspapers in uh, Rio de Janeiro, then the country's capital, and so we can see that in the same move, uh, Einstein was projected to the Brazilian public, but also Brazilian astronomy was projected into the public sphere, helping in the process its recognition and visibility. And so, let me uh, uh, then proceed to my last invisibility, which pertains to the different way in which Brazil and Portugal are uh, mentioned in the written records of the two expeditions. In most cases, Portugal is never mentioned. I mean, what is really mentioned is Príncipe. Príncipe is uh, presented, and very well so, as, um, as a, a small island in the Gulf of Guinea, in the west coast of Africa, and uh, I, I think that probably the reason why, with few exceptions, and when the, the exception is this one, which I didn't, shouldn't have shown you uh, at this point, uh, with few exceptions, uh, Príncipe is detached from its status of a colonial island. Uh, and I think that this might have been um, a way to obliterate the undesirable political connections associated with the accusations of forced labor. So there are two exceptions. The two exceptions is the, the introductory communication by Dyson on the 9th of March of 1917, in which he uh, introduces Príncipe Island, a small developed Portuguese island which became celebrated a short time ago owing to the politician's interest in slave cocoa. In the 1920 paper, there is a difference. Uh, Príncipe is a small island belonging to Portugal, situated just north of the equator in the Gulf of Guinea, about 100 miles from the African coast. So it's uh, Portuguese, but uh, there's no mention of the conflict opposing uh, in the past, in the very recent past, the, the British and the Portuguese. It's also interesting that the different treatments uh, concerning Brazilian authorities and Portuguese authorities is very clear from the acknowledgements uh, in the last part of the 1920 paper. The support of the Brazilian government is widely recognized, as you can see. Uh, in fact, uh, it's also mentioned the support by Moritz, the director of the Rio de Janeiro Observatory, uh, acting on behalf of the Brazilian government. But as to the Prince expedition, 
there are just uh, there is just the mention and the thanks to Jerónimo Carneiro, the plantation owner, and uh, the Atalaya, who was his manager and uh, whom we know from the letters written by Eddington to his mother and sister, that uh, he, they entertained long conversations in very rudimentary French. Uh, so Atalaya became quite a close friend of uh, Eddington. While the director and the deputy director of the Observatory of Lisbon were uh, extremely important for the success of these expeditions, they are not mentioned in the end, they are mentioned in the part pertaining to, uh, to Príncipe. And uh, uh, in fact, they, in a, as, as a, the National Observatory of Lisbon, they also worked on their own behalf, but on behalf of the Portuguese government. And uh, what I want to show you in what follows is the, uh, a, a bunch of letters which were written uh, to Eddington, to the director of the Lisbon Observatory, and then uh, the, the correspondence continued uh, with OM, the deputy director, the director was or was 80-something at the time, and so he delegated into his deputy director. And what we can see from these letters is the close connection and the importance of these astronomers for the success of the two British expeditions. The first letter written by Eddington, uh, it interest, interestingly, is written on the 11th of November 1918, which is the day of the armistice was signed. Uh, the, this first paragraph basically introduces uh, Eddington and Cottingham and says that they are going to observe uh, one of the results of Einstein. The letter uh, goes on. He asks information as to accommodations in Príncipe. In fact, on the travel uh, from Liverpool to Príncipe, he, he, he puts um, in charge of uh, the connection with the colonial institutions in order to secure for them travel and accommodation. He asks also for interpreters. And uh, by the end of this lecture, he sends the regards of Dyson. And this is really interesting because Dyson had been in Portugal uh, back in uh, the 20th, to observe the total e eclipse of 28 May 1900. And so uh, Dyson sends his regards to Ohm, he remembers Ohm, because Ohm had developed a consistent strategy of receiving um, the foreign observers, both professional and amateur. Uh, this was, of course, a move uh, by OM, by the deputy director, not only of uh, proving to the foreign astronomers that Portuguese astronomy was, uh, 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 at, was, was equivalent in terms of standing to other countries, but also it was a part of a strategy uh, developed by OM in the sense of uh, gathering the support of the Portuguese government for Portuguese astronomy. So 
in both Portugal and Brazil, and in many other countries. Of course, local astronomers, local communities of, of astronomers use the, uh, the scientific occasions provided by Eclipse to assert a specific scientific agenda vis-à-vis -vis their, uh, their uh, governments. There is a very, uh, uh, a very interesting lecture, uh, letter, I'm sorry, which is written by uh, Eddington to Ohm on May 4th. Um, as you can read, and you can read it very easily, uh, he basically says that they arrived uh, in the, the island on April 23rd in a, a steamship called Portugal. Uh, we are being most kindly entertained by Mr. Carneiro and have everything we could possibly desire. Everyone has received us most kindly and has given us every assistance. And in typical optimism, Eddington's optimism, he says all we need now is a fine day for the eclipse, something they, they didn't get, of course. This is a beautiful island, and besides making good progress with our work, we are thoroughly enjoying our experiences with many things, so on and so forth. The last letter is written on his way uh, when he's already back in Britain on the 3rd of August. It's a very short and last letter thanking uh, the support of the Portuguese astronomers. Uh, we arrived home on July 14th after a pleasant voyage. I think you may be interested to have the enclosed paper enlargements from three of our negatives. They do not show all the fine details of the original, but the prominence is very remarkable. With many thanks to you and Dr. Rom for your great kindness and help to us. The first and last letter is addressed, of course, to the director of the observatory. And in fact, it's here, uh, by going over the correspondence of Eddington held at the archives of the Lisbon Observatory, we were uh, able to find these paper enlargements, uh, which were lost somewhere. Uh, and it was in the following this research that we managed to uh, look at the, to get the three paper enlargements which are here and the one in the middle which is very well known and shows the very uh, spectacular uh, solar pr uh, prominence. So, to conclude, uh, in fact, these, these, I, was, I, I wanted to mention a little bit uh, Slave Cocoa, but I will skip it. And these, were two, uh, these are two pages of the uh, graphic novel in which this is uh, taken from a, an overview of the plantation Sundi. And here you can see the Senzales, which were the workers' apartments, very, very tiny. And here, uh, and so, uh, and here are all the anonymous people we don't know have and which really were crucial for the success of this uh, enterprise. So, uh, I hope to have shown that the joint assessment of both expeditions raises pertinent historical questions, some of which I have addressed in this talk. Their answers, some still conjectural, cross science, astronomy, physics and mathematics with technology, they cross geography and colonial empires. They, call, uh, they cross politics and religion. This is something I didn't mention very much in this talk. They show also how networks of 
scientists, local elites, anonymous actors, and general public were all fundamental to their preparation, execution, and final success. They also illustrate our narratives told about them, create a symmetrical accounts, giving prominence to certain actors, institutions and places at the expense of obliterating others. They reveal how these expeditions were much more than mathematical. They were the result of a peculiar combination of mathematics with physics, astronomy, material conditions, societal constraints, political decisions and religious factors, which jointly converged to their success. In sum, it is my contention that the joint assessment of both expeditions enables to move from past histories towards the global history of the 1919 eclipse. Thank you. Can you say, um, you mentioned that Sir Arthur Eddington told his mother that mm -hmm. he thought he had uh, fulfilled Einstein's predictions, but um, nothing was mentioned after that. Who, who actually said something in public or in a paper about whether Einstein had been vindicated? <laughs> Okay, uh, in the, in the, thank you for, for your question. In the public presentation on 6th of November, uh, it, the, the, question, the, the decision was taken, I mean, the final result was very bluntly uh, discussed. And uh, although they were announcing the result in the main uh, hall of the Royal Society of London, under the picture of Newton, uh, in fact, uh, they announced that the results, in a sense, uh, proved Einstein right. There were, of course, lots of discussion going on afterwards. I mean, it's uh, because not anyone, not everybody was convinced, and especially people did not really understand what was going on and uh, what was this uh, theory about. But uh, in this, uh, in this particularly, uh, in this communication, then in the joint paper, and also in the popularization book, Eddington uh, really uh, makes his position clear. And then, because there were lots of photographic plates which had been eliminated, then started all this discussion concerning if this. Uh, expedition really proved Einstein right because many of the plates had to be discarded due to the bad, bad weather uh, in Prince, but also in Sobral. All the plates taken by the small, by the, the big astrographic had, uh, were basically discarded. So there, the evidence was uh, rather slim. And so in 1902, there was another eclipse and people uh, proceeded in trying to uh, substantiate the result of this uh, expedition. Uh, what are your thoughts about the letter, the contents of the letter to his mother? Do you think that's normal? And did it, his other letters to his mother, did it have uh, the same detail? Okay, uh, the letters which are held at the... Uh, um, concerning uh, at uh, the, Trinity, the Trinity College concerning Eddington's uh, correspondence, mostly to his mother, are usually very detailed, not only in uh, the daily routine of the astronomer, which is also very interesting, of course, but also concerning uh, specific scientific details. For example, from one of the letters that he writes when he's in Brazil in 1912, we can understand that probably in Rio de Janeiro he met another 
German astronomer, uh, and it was in 1912 that probably he heard for the first time of general relativity, which was not there yet. I mean, he heard that Einstein was uh, trying to um, extend his special theory. So it's very interesting that they are, they go from lots of daily details. For example, the 1919 correspondence is very uh, interesting because he's always talking about the fact that he eats lots of meat, he eats lots of butter, lots of cakes. I mean, rationing uh, is not uh, there any longer. So he also describes all the amazing fruits that there are in Prince, but he comes on always re recalling that he hopes to be back home for the, for the strawberries, which are really the fruit he really enjoys. But then, at bits and pieces, he gives uh, lots of very detailed information and scientific information. <laughs>